Two Friends, Two Murders contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Nobody in an atmosphere like this has any contact with violence or walks in any fear. Except who knows what hides in the private jungle beyond any respectable door. Welcome back to Two Friends, Two Murders. I'm Kylie. And I'm Aubrey. Uh, because we're here again through quarantine and <laughs> people are getting a little lonely. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, we are here to remind you that going out on dates is not always safe, you know? <laughs> Be careful who you're swiping right on. Yep, exactly. So here we are to ruin your hopes of finding love online with online dating murders. <laughs> <laughs> I like missed the online dating error. Like, era. Same. I, me and Finn got together too early. Like, yep. I never, I think I met, like, a couple guys through MySpace, and that's Ooh, the Ooh, look at thing. you. I know. <laughs> Daredevil. <laughs> Some of our listeners are like, MySpace? What yeah, is I that? Know, that, like, aged me so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I've been with Riley since I was 16, so I don't even know how So it you works. definitely missed it. I don't even know how to date, so... <laughs> what is dating yeah exactly i've been on like my friend's tinders before and it's so much oh yeah almost kind of like oh man look at all these options (laughs) all right well to start things off oh (laughs) yeah we're just kidding guys we love you um to start things off should we talk about some scary online dating statistics absolutely and again sorry if i don't know what these mean but i haven't even i don't even know i don't know how to date (laughs) So this says about one third of online daters do not upload a profile picture to their online dating profile. So obviously, if red flag right yeah, there, there's there you go. That's a scary statistic. Just don't even go for it. Yeah, if they don't have a profile pic, skip. If they don't yeah. have multiple profiles, they're pic, obviously like, hiding something. Like yeah, why wouldn't you post a picture? Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Uh, this says one out of ten sex offenders use online dating to meet other people. Okay. Uh, random yep. note, a sex offender used to live in my house. Oh, wow. I know. We were looking up like That's the... a nice little tidbit the realtor tells you. I know, right? Well, we were looking up like the sex offenders list and our address showed up. I was like, cool beans. <laughs> People like skip your house on Halloween. Yeah. But They're like, not that one. I literally thought that a couple years ago because we got maybe two trick-or-treaters. <laughs> uh, this says, the book How to Date in a Post-Dating World... Uh, in the online dating world, it's like a book about it. I don't know. Uh, women are afraid of meeting a serial killer. It's okay because only about three percent of online dating men are psychopaths. Oh, only that. Only three percent. <laughs> We've got some of those for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have evidence. Uh, this says eHarmony mentions that a study found that men who reported incomes higher of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh my god. Uh, received 156% more emails than those who only made 50,000%. Dang. I mean, that, that makes money, sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. On free dating sites, at least 10% of new accounts are from scammers. Yeah, that makes sense. Which, it's like, if you're really trying to find love, I see why you would want to pay. But yeah, yeah, for at sure. At the same time, Although I, I know quite a handful of success stories that came from like the free one yeah, the so free you one. never know hey there, there's always those people yeah uh in 2005 alone 25 percent of rapists used online dating Ooh. sites to find their victims that's 20, a lot higher of a 25 percent like. yeah that's that scary. is scary Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> uh dinner for six a matchmaking service <laughs> <laughs> in colorado says that 51% of online dating singles are already in a relationship. 51? That is high. That is super high. Also, what does dinner for six mean? 
this says more than. What was that one that was like specifically for um, people that have affairs that like got hacked? That what? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? No. There's like this specific web. I'm blanking on the name. There's like a specific dating website, but it's literally huh. for people searching to have affairs, and then it like got hacked. Jeez. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up while we talk. Cause okay. Like, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. All right. This says more than forty percent of men try to swoon women by women by lying about their jobs, trying to make their career sound more prestigious. Which, yep, makes sense. Yep. <laughs> like this, for example, I work in the entertainment industry when really you sell tickets at a local theater. So that does change some <laughs> it's things. Like they're boosting up their resume. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, that thing is called Ashley Madison. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of that. Really? Yes. It was like, I mean, it was a long, t- it, not a long time ago, but a while ago that it all went down. So let's see. Last but not least, an alarming 51% of online daters, daters are already in a relationship. It already said that. We know that already. We know that. Jeez. <laughs> Listen, guys, this is online. All right. Uh, but fear not. Here I have an article on how to not get killed while oh, online dating. So... Some tips and tricks. Let's let's go through a few of them, just because we're about to talk about people who were killed, and let's let's try to save you guys. Yeah. Uh, Do not put your full name, your Instagram account, where you work, your email address, street address, obviously, or phone number. Yeah. Which, I... You think that's common sense, but I guess you never know. Especially if you've, like, never used one before. It's true. Let's see. Uh, weeks and months of pre-dating, emailing, and texting is a waste of time. Talk on the phone. It'll give you more cues than text ever can. Boom. Just like I learned from MTV's Catfish. Exactly. It's a good one. That's a good show. Let's see. While it is chivalrous for a man to pick you up at home, and he should, at, or at, that's what people do, I guess, is they'll give out their address and then they pick you up. Uh-huh. This is basically just saying, do not... Do that on the first meeting. Tell the stranger yeah. to meet at like a local area and let your friends know where you're going. Absolutely. Always meet in public on first dates. And send a what's what do they call it? Or a do pin. the send yeah, the pin. Find my friends. Yeah, find my friends. This says do not get in their car. That makes sense as well. Yeah. This person says one time she got in a car with a maniac and he kept trying to touch her boobs. Ew. <laughs> so, ooh. There you go. Uh, carry the right tools. So this is basically just saying make sure your cell phone's fully charged, some crash, a cash, a credit card, and pepper spray is always a good idea. Yeah. And then also throws in brass knuckles if you're a badass. Damn. Do you have pepper spray? I do. I have pepper spray and a taser. Mm-hmm. Damn, nobody's coming for you. Listen, once upon a time, I went to school at Slick in the ghetto, and I had <laughs> classes at like 10 p.m., so. Dude, that's why I had my pepper spray, yeah. too, is because I would walk, and the campus is like dead quiet at yeah. night, and so like walking from the, the campus out to the parking lot, because I never bought a freaking parking pass, Same. was so scary. <laughs> it was so scary. That's exactly how I was. <laughs> um, And then the last piece of advice says, don't get drunk. Because, obviously, when you're drunk, it's a little bit easier for someone to take advantage of you. Well, where's the fun in that? But, okay. I mean, listen. If, All right. Save it for date two, Kylie. <laughs> All right. Now that you know how to stay safe while online dating, shall we jump into some uh, people who did not play it safe? Yeah, let's do it. I have mine. Um, so, I'm actually going to start off with an audio clip from a oh. 911 call. Yeah, Ooh, I like it. Up okay. on you guys. Um, this is, the call is about Anthony Walgate, who was the Grinder killer's first victim. The Grinder. Grinder, which, if you don't know, is a dating app specifically geared towards gay men. Oh, okay. And I think, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then this happened on June 19th, 2014. So okay. let me play that for you. Okay. On the 19th of 
report called the emergency services, claiming he had discovered a man collapsed outside a block of flats in East London. He was lying. Okay. All right. So, so I don't know if that was super hard to hear, but basically this guy calls, um, this is in London, and he calls the police and is like, there's this kid that looks like he's having a seizure or he's drunk or he's collapsed outside. Uh-huh. Um, and that was, the the boy that was outside was Anthony Walgate. Okay. He was 23. He was studying fashion design at his college. Um, his mother described him as passionate, driven, and was doing everything he could to fulfill his dream. When they found Anthony's body in the street, there was bruising and blood on the torso. Um, the constable on the case described this scene as suspicious. However, Anthony's mother testifies that they didn't take the case seriously and they didn't put in any effort into it, such as tracing his phone or trying to figure out any connections like that. Um, despite that, they did do some investigation and they came up with a vital piece of information from one of Anthony's friends. Um, they informed the police that Anthony had met a guy named Stephen Port through this online dating website called Sleepy Boy. Mm. That's the same man that you heard on the 911 call. Okay. So Stephen's the one that called. And okay. Anthony's body was found right outside Stephen's flat on Cook Street. Okay. So Stephen Port was born in 1975 and he grew up in East Dagingham, London with his parents. He was described as being a loner. He was bullied all through school. He came out as gay in his 20s and he lived alone in a flat in Barking, London. Um, neighbors said that he had almost like a childlike personality and was seen playing with children's toys, which kind of weird. Yeah. But um, and then crazily enough, he was like somewhat of a famous chef. I read that he was, like, on a few episodes of this reality TV show for chefs, and he helped cater to a bunch of people. Oh, really? Something like that, but, huh. yeah. So, he's kind of just a crazy character. He was about 39 when all of this stuff started to go down. Okay. Um, so, rewind back to Anthony. When the police found out that he actually, that Stephen actually knew Anthony and wasn't just driving by, they interviewed him again. He was arrested for lying to the police, and then Stephen changed his story and said that he had hired Anthony as an escort, but that he had died of his own overdose on GHB. Hmm. If you haven't heard of GHB, it's more commonly known as the date rape drug. Um, He claims that Anthony came over, took some GHB, and then about an hour later, he took some more and became ill. He went to sleep in Stephen's bed, and then Stephen just left to go to work for eight hours and left him there. But when he came back, Anthony was dead. Okay. He says he got scared, dragged him outside, and then he called the police. Dragged him outside? Yeah, so, like, he, but Anthony's body was found right outside his flat. Yeah. Huh. And so, I don't know why that was, yeah, if seems, you're, yeah. I don't know if that's why you, you do that if you're scared. But. Yeah, exactly. Um, the police had taken Stephen's Stephen. DNA, but felt like it was an open and shut case, and it says it said that Stephen was supposed to be jailed for four months due to lying to the police about this, but okay. that didn't take place until, like, way later. Gotcha. So, it was also said that the police took both Anthony and Stephen's laptops as evidence, but never searched them due to cost. Had they searched Stephen's computer, they would have found the following online searches right before he contacted Anthony. That's a weird reason, due to cost. That's what the the documentary, like, is interviewing uh, Anthony's mother, and that's what she said they told her. Interesting. So, they would have found that Stephen had searched date rape drug, Mm. unconscious boy rape videos, boys being drug raped. Okay. So, (laughs) anyway, he's released and just goes back to what he's doing. A neighbor described Stephen's thirst for young men as quite high. He Ugh. met up with different young guys constantly and was an avid user of gay online dating apps. And he was how old again? Stephen was about 39 okay. when this was going down. Okay. And all of the dudes, I have the ages throughout this, but all of the dudes are in their, like, early 20s. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it says that a neighbor said that he was, like, meeting up with uh, different guys all the time. He was also kind of 
catfishing them on his profile, saying that he had graduated from Oxford, Mm -hmm. saying that he had served in the Royal Navy, which he hadn't. Okay. And then on his profiles, he used names like Shy Guy. This is my favorite one. Top Fun Joe. Oh, Top Fun. (laughs) Top Fun Joe. Basketball Guy and a variety (laughs) of others. And then... um, he cited his preferences that like what he was looking for as under 30 slim men. Um, and then he, he also, so I already said he tried to be a Oxford graduate, but he also yeah. pretended to be a special needs teacher. Okay. So in his little bio, he would always put that I'm a shy, polite guy, enjoying, enjoy keeping in shape, love to have a good time. I am romantic, caring, and would be, and would take good care of my partner. I am successful, educated, and determined. I'm looking for fun, date, BF, who is between 18, 24, slim, um, and who has plenty of energy and enjoys a good time. All right. So that's who he's, those are the types of dudes that he's targeting. All right. Um, the same neighbor that had said that he was like, had a high thirst and then yeah. described him as childlike. I hate that word. Huh? A thirst. The I don't thirst. like it. <laughs> yeah. They, he was obviously somewhat close to Stephen and he said that there were a few occasions where different boyfriends would, de- would describe to him Stephen as violent. One of them said that he had pushed him into a TV and he ended up cutting his head. Another one said that Stephen had beaten up, beaten him up quite badly after a fight. Um, the neighbor also recounts a time where he had gone over to Stephen's house and he looked absolutely awful. His eyes were bloodshot, his speech was slurred, and on the coffee table there were huge amounts of white powder in packets oh, and boy. vials of clear liquid. So oh. a lot more drug drugs yeah. than just like for personal use, right? Two months after Anthony's death, Stephen meets 22-year-old Gabriel Kavari on Grinder. Gabriel moved in with Stephen, and Stephen had texted the same neighbor and was like, uh, I think the neighbor's name was Ryan, but I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Stephen texts him and is like, hey, go meet my new young hot flatmate. And so Ryan does, and he says that he thought Gabriel was like a really nice guy, yeah. seems super smart, and they actually become friends and they keep chatting. Okay. Um, Ryan ends up telling Stephen, like, what he thought of Gabriel, like, oh, yeah, he's super great, you know, and then Stephen writes back and is like, yep, I'm taking good care of him, he, yeah. he. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, so eerie, and then a few days later, all communication from Gabriel stops, which Ryan thought was weird, so he reached out to Stephen to ask him what was up, and Stephen says he wasn't sure where Gabriel is, he thought maybe he ran off with this new army guy that he had been talking to, which was a bummer because Stephen really liked him, Yeah. and then later that same night, Ryan got this super long text from Stephen saying, I have some bad news about Gabriel, he has actually gone home and developed a really rare disease and died. What? But yeah, just but out don't of the blue. Don't say anything to his friends or family about it on Facebook because obviously they're really upset. What? Yeah, and this all happened within a week of Gabriel leaving his old roommate to leave with Steve, to live with Steve. It only so took a week. It was all over Dang. the course of a week. Dang. Yeah, so he's like, "Don't say anything to the family," but he's dead. But he died of a disease. A rare disease. Weird. Um, so, obviously, we know that's a lie, right? Yeah. So, Stephen had, again, overdosed his victim, this time with Gabriel using GHB, and then somehow, without being seen, moved his body to this churchyard that was only a few streets away from his house. He had left him propped up against a gravestone with sunglasses and a blanket wrapped Ew, around creepy. him. Yeah, it was pretty creepy. Um, this lady who was walking her dog through the churchyard found him and could obviously tell it was like... Super suspicious and called yeah. the police. Jeez, all these people just walking or running across bodies. <laughs> yeah, it makes you creep, like, scared it's... of taking dogs for a walk, what you're going to come across. Well, 100%. Freaking way <laughs> creepy. Um, the police determined, however, that Gabriel overdosed himself and shut the case. Um, the community is really upset with the police over these cases because you have two gay men who died within months of each other, unexplained and literally like streets away, but they never put the cases together. Yeah, like they're linked by the same dude. And then like, what about this text where he said he died about a disease and he obviously didn't? Yeah, exactly. Um, so then a week later, uh, here comes 21 year old Daniel Whitworth. Stephen Port had used his profile on Fit Lads to meet Daniel. Fit Lads. 
did, lads. Yeah. yeah. He suggested that they meet up for drinks so that Daniel can get to know him before dinner at before dinner at his flat hmm. so he can see that he isn't a psycho. Oh, well, guys, I guess my <laughs> my tip doesn't always work. <laughs> Just don't go back to their flat for dinner. Yeah, That's exactly. Stay in public. <laughs> but unfortunately, Daniel had met the same fate as Gabriel and Anthony. Stephen had drugged him, raped him, and murdered him, and then took his body to the same churchyard, put him in the same position that as he had left Gabriel, Jeez. and then the same lady walking. Oh her my dog gosh, girl! She's like, I'm never going outside ever again. Yeah, her interview was so wild because she's like, not again. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Can you and, and he's it? just killing them by giving them too much drugs. Yeah, he's overdosing yeah. on GHB. Jeez. Yeah. Which I, part of me is like, I don't know if it's 100% intentional or if he just literally doesn't know. I like, would think by the third round, them. probably. Right, by, by, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, ridiculous. Um, there, so anyway, yeah, the same lady found Poor lady. Daniel. Um, this time, however, there was a note attached to Daniel that was a suicide note. What? It explained that him and Gabriel were actually in a relationship with one oh. another, and he had accidentally overdosed Gabriel, and that he couldn't live with the guilt, so he committed suicide. Trying to get the eyes off him. Yeah, his family was shocked. They didn't believe Daniel would do this. The police had sent them a small portion of the suicide note for them to compare the handwriting, Yeah, uh, and they just said they couldn't be sure. You know, they don't really see his handwriting because you use modern-day technology to communicate yeah. you know um so that the police said that they would have experts compare it but that never happened hmm. um the pathologist who examined daniel's body uh said that there was also bruising underneath both of his arms that more than likely happened prior to death yeah daniel was also wrapped up in a bed sheet that wasn't scanned for dna so there's all these red flags, but yeah. despite those red flags, the police still didn't feel that it was suspicious and just assumed that the suicide note basically was, you know, a, oh, again, an open and shut yeah. case. Interesting. Um, Daniel's family ended up seeing the suicide note in full, and they said it was so cold, it was so impersonal, like there was no way that it was Daniel. There was yeah. no personal touch or goodbye to even make you think that it was Daniel, like yeah. nothing specific at all. But then... <laughs> It also says specifically, don't blame the guy I was with last night. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> like, P.S. Yeah. Okay, you got you it. You could have left that out. <laughs> All the families and friends are like super suspicious. Yeah. And they feel like the cops aren't doing their part on the investigation. So Gabriel's prior roommate um, started to do some digging on his own and came across this uh, online profile called John Luck. Mm-hmm. who was a retired gay porn star who happened to be friends with Gabriel. Oh. He starts telling people about these drug-fueled orgies that Gabriel and Daniel would attend together. He said that these older guys would invite these young guys, fill them up on drugs, and then take advantage of them. Mm. So the roommate tries to take this information to the police but gets stonewalled. Turns out the profile actually just ended up being Steven using a fake profile trying to spread that narrative, but nothing really yeah. came up with it. Yep. Um, time elapses and there's no more deaths, but um, I'm sure more on reported rapes. And now it's fast forward to 2015. Okay. He is finally convicted for lying to the police about Anthony's death. He's supposed hmm. to serve four months in prison, but is released after two. Okay. It's so now it's September 2015. He's back on Grinder oh, and he meets 25 year old Jack Taylor. Get out of there, Jack. I know. Jack's body was found in a park right next to the churchyard. That same churchyard, not in it, but why doesn't in a park he right like try it. to switch it up? Yeah, no, he doesn't even try because why? He yeah, liked- I guess at this point he's got away with three, so. Yeah, exactly. There was a syringe and drugs found in his pocket along with a needle um, prick in his arm. And then the police informed the family that Jack had died of an overdose, which they knew right away was wrong because Jack was actually anti-drug. Hmm. He would never do drugs. He had never done drugs, yeah. never would do drugs. 
Um, the two sisters of Jack, who were much like the other families, dissatisfied with the investigation, start doing their own research and keep pounding the police with questions. So they finally agree to meet up with them and they show them where they found Jack's body. And when they do that, they also mention that they actually had security camera footage of Jack meeting up with a man at Barking Station. Mm. To which the sisters obviously thought, you know, you would have inter- you must have interviewed yeah. this guy and like you know who it is, right? And they're like, No, we haven't. We don't know who he is. Um and let me just say right here, the documentary that I watched was very geared towards to like how the cops missed all the opportunities yeah. to catch him and like basically like a catalog of their mistakes, which it definitely sounds like they missed a bunch, but um they never interview any of the cops, so you don't really get yeah, their, side their side either. Yeah, exactly. And then people think that the cops that did work on this case were actually homophobic and they didn't really care about the victims. Oh and that's why there was such a lack of, like, investigation. Um, and then there was, like, it says later that there was, like, interviews from police officers and that 17 of them were investigated for misconduct. So, hmm. anyway, take that how you will. Yeah. But um, the sisters, again, keep persisting, and they're like, there isn't any actual footage of Jack alone. He's always with this man. So they convince the police department to release an image of the man so he can be identified and brought in for questioning. Okay. After they do this, two days later, after the image is released, Stephen Port is arrested. Um, I couldn't really find exactly how they ended up connecting and finding him, yeah. but I do have a little clip of this from his interrogation interview. Yeah. I'm wondering if it was something to do with that surveillance or I mean, yeah, it had to have been. Yeah. I just don't know if, like, someone recognized him and then yeah. they were like, oh, that's, and then just brought him in gotcha. for this interview. It had to be something like that. Yeah. So, um, let me play this. Hopefully it's the right one I pulled up. <laughs> Why are you searching for boy drugged rape? And that search, I can tell you, or those, some of those searches occurred during the evening of the 12th, shortly before midnight. And then some of them occurred in the early hours of the morning, later on in the morning, after 4 o'clock, and onwards later on that day, on the 13th, on Sunday the 13th, the time when Jack Taylor was either dead or dying. You're searching for... Um, boy drugged rape etc what's that um I was just generally looking for sterile porn um that's not general porn Stephen is it you're specifically searching for videos of porn to do with people who are either asleep or have been drugged and are being raped you've typed in the word rape haven't you Okay, so this, yeah, this is pretty recent. Yeah, I guess that was yeah. 2015. Dink. That's so crazy. Yeah. I love how the cop was like, that's pretty specific. And he's like, nah. <laughs> just general. It's, it's like, just, well. Just overall general. It's like, mm, it's not. No. 
Dang. I can't believe that. And, like, the fact that the bodies were being found around the same area in the same yeah, same cause of death. Yeah, the families were, like, furious because it's, like, there's so many unexplained. Yeah. It, I mean, literally, you have at least three guys just within that same churchyard area yeah. being all, all overdosing. Like, how yeah, are exactly. you not – how is that not a connection enough? Jeez. Yeah, so and and all within like the gay community too. Yeah. And they just didn't they didn't like warn them or anything. And the the neighbor was super pissed cuz he was like, "Had they said anything about Gabriel's murder, I would have shown the text." Yeah, that exactly. Steven. So yeah. like, I don't Yeah, it was so crazy. Dang, that's so crazy. Yeah, it's a good documentary though. You feel so bad for the families. Oh, it's I'm like, sure. oh. And it's well, like frustrating. Anthony's mom is like, if they had just investigated my son's murder, yeah. these three other boys would still be alive. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. Yeah, so awful. Well, there you have it. There's one of them. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> these ones are kind of rough. They are. It's just like creepy too because it's like you literally never know who you're talking to. I know. And it's not even just online dating. Just meeting up pe- with people yeah. you don't know in general is so creepy. Totally. All right. Well, on to the Hit next. with yours. On to the next one to make you guys want to date online even more. Especially during quarantine <laughs> when you can't go out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes you feel better about being stuck inside. Yeah. All right. So my murder is about Mark Twitchell, a.k.a. the Dexter copycat killer. Oh. So. Mark Twitchell, Twitchell, which we kind of just jump right in because, I don't know, that's just how we're going to do it today. Um, But he had some odd fantasies, and he was really into, like, sci-fi, like, cosplay. Like, he'd like to get dressed up, which is fine, um, and, like, science fictional characters and would, like, act out scenes of movies, which, whatever. Okay. That's that's fine. Sure. Yeah. But... That's not the odd thing that he liked to do. <laughs> he would like to spend time on dating apps looking for love, but not as Mark Twitchell, but rather a woman and a man. So he was playing multiple parts. Okay. Um, in 2000, he actually met a woman named Megan Castorella who lived in Colorado. So I actually have a video of her kind of explaining how they met and like her thoughts on him when they met. Okay. and references uh-huh. there's pictures of him in his Darth Maul costume in there and then just like a headshot that he did of himself what was the point at which you started thinking this could be somebody I'd like to have a long term relationship with I think it was how well we hit it off he's a very charming guy just really sweet um, smart he called himself the renaissance man so basically, she's just saying like, and he's a really decent looking guy, right? And yeah. Like they, he has like on this, the first dating profile that he made was actually like him in like his sci-fi costume. So he had a legit, a legit profile, you could say, but he just had many more. And that's yeah. so he met Megan through um, his legit site. So after a few months of online dating, he, she flew to meet Mark and then they decided to get married. So it was rather Whoa. quick. Yes. Uh, So, what? That's quick. Yeah, it was way fast. So, at this time, Mark was only 21 and Megan was 20. So, they were still pretty young. Yeah. Um, Over time, Megan would come to learn how obsessed with movies he was, um, even wanting to create his own movies. But he wasn't just, like, obsessed with movies. He was obsessed with, like, how to create, like, the perfect scene for these movies. And, like, some of the movies that he was obsessed with were, like, true crime and horror movies, right? So he's trying to be, like, a director. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So not long after they got married, she would also come to learn uh, that another side of Mark was actually being unfaithful with his multiple online dating profiles. Okay. Uh, He was a compulsive liar, and so after a while, their marriage actually fell apart. Um, Megan also found out how he was acting as different women on these dating websites. So that was obviously a big no for her. Uh, during an interview, she states that at one point after they got married, Mark had asked her if she'd ever thought about killing someone, obviously, <laughs> which her answer is kind of odd, but I guess what would, I don't know what you would say in that situation, right? So she says, sure, I guess everyone has those thoughts when they're angry enough. But they wouldn't ever carry out the act. 
Mark okay. replied with, well, I have, and I want to find a homeless person that Noah would go looking for. Jesus. Megan was obviously shocked, but didn't stop her from continuing in the relationship. So this was early on in their relationship. Uh, like, do you think he convinced her that he was eventually kidding or something? Cause, maybe. Like, I, and maybe like, they just kind of like, just get swept yeah, under the rug for me. I, I have no idea. Maybe they were like drinking or something and she was just like i don't know what you're talking about yeah okay so then less than a year after ending their relationship in 2005 mark got married again to another woman that he had met online um with his new wife he did end up having a child so he was kind of settling down at this point but he still had his obvious obsession with these movies yeah um he bought the family a new home but ended up using fraudulent documents for the mortgage so he had to actually ended up having to quit his job and this is when he decided it was time to create his own films okay um he was basically living off the money off of investors who are investing in these movies that he was going to be directing um and then during this time he created his first short film which was a horror film called house of cards Okay. Um, it's about a woman who lures a man on a dating website to an isolated garage. Turns out that this woman is a man who is doing research for a screenplay. He then kills and tortures these men in a hockey mask. So. Well, that sounds a little too similar. These are very details, that, like important details that uh, you will come to find out aren't just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. On October 3rd, a man named, I can't really, I don't know really how to say his name. I'm just going to call him G, but I think it's Gills Tetralot, but I apologize if I said that wrong because I, we all know I'm really good with names, so we're just going to call him G. I got you. Um, so he was going to meet a date he had met online uh, called Plenty of Fish. Oh yeah, see yes. I know some success stories from that one Well, though. these were not successful. <laughs> <laughs> so this woman parentheses, told G to meet her at a isolated garage to pick her up for their date at about 7 That's p.m. weird already. <laughs> I know. Just like this random garage. <laughs> yeah. So at about 7 p.m., G arrived to the garage and walked inside to meet his date. But it was not who he thought it was. He was attacked with a stun gun and he turned around and saw a man wearing a hockey mask. Oh, my God. Now, what better to learn about the experience than from G himself? Yes. So, yes, he did survive this attack, <sighs> but I like to go through his details because they're obviously better than me reading him and messing everything up. So I wonder if, like, oh, sorry, I'll wait till you're done with okay. the clip. Okay, we'll play it. Inside, it was too dark to see. And suddenly, someone was attacking me with a stun gun. Tetra, 
as he struggled back towards the garage door. So he kept hitting me. And every time he hit me, I just move closer to the door. Then, wrenching himself away from the masked man, he dropped to the floor and began to roll. Slipped right out, rolled under the garage door, and I was outside. But now, for the first time, he felt the paralyzing effects of the stun gun. And my, my legs wouldn't work. Now I'm crawling down this unpaved gravel driveway. And um, he comes out after me. And he grabs my legs and he starts pulling me back to the garage. Okay. I, apo- I apologize for the music. You know documentaries. I got to make no, it creepy. No, I love it. It makes it so intense. That's so wild. Right? So I can't believe he, like, survived that I experience. Know. That's insane. So, basically, at this point, he continues to fight off uh, Mark and saw that there was a man and woman actually outside for a walk. So, mm-hmm. he's, like, calling them for help. But these two, obviously, like, not knowing what's going on, they didn't want to go into this garage and, like, them be in trouble. So they actually ran home and ended up calling 911. Uh Um, But by the time the police had showed up, there was no one in the garage. So G had gotten away and then also Mark had escaped as well. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. That is so scary. And how scary would it be just walking into a garage and there's just a man in a freaking hockey mask? I love how that's what he said. He's like, the hockey mask. (laughs) I love how he's like, and that's when I realized there's no date. Yeah. (laughs) Like, nope. And then when he's like, I didn't tell anyone where I was going, I was like, uh, tisk, tisk, another tip. Always tell someone where you are. Always got to tell someone where you are. So anyways, the following weekend, another man was going to meet a woman at a garage from an online dating app. So John John Altinger was a tall 38-year-old who was a single man just looking for some love. And he again was on the app Plenty of Fish. All right. Uh, John had ended up sharing his information with a friend, letting him know where he was going and where. Very smart. There we go. Uh, but after a while, uh, his friends had not heard from him like how the date went or anything like that. Like it was just silence. A few days later, friends and family got worried when he didn't show up for, like, a planned trip that they had all planned out. Uh, The following Monday, friends and family received an email from John saying that he was going to Costa Rica with a woman that he had met online. He said that he would call in a few months, but obviously friends and family thought that this was a weird message just because, obviously... That's, That's so weird. Not if any of my friends email me instead of just texting me or yeah. calling me, like something is up. Yeah, seriously. So uh, they had found out that he hadn't been showing up at work. And so this is when they decided to call police because something mm-hmm. was up. Police weren't very helpful uh, just because there wasn't really anything showing that he was in danger or anything. Um, so the friends decided to do a little digging themselves. They ended up breaking into John's apartment where all of his clothes, passport, and suitcase were all there. Like, it showed that nothing had been packed. No one had been there. Yeah. Like, So it's a little sketchy. Uh, they went back to the police with this information, and that's when police decided to kind of step in. Uh, one thing that police did have was the address of the garage where John said that he was going to meet his online date that he had given his friends. So that's right. kind of where they decided to start. They contacted the man who was uh, renting the garage who turned out to be none other than Mark Twitchell. Uh-huh. He told police that he was filming a movie there and was happy to show them the garage. He acted confused uh, when they showed up saying that it looked like his garage had been tampered with and like the lock had been broken. So trying to act as if someone had broken just in case they had found any evidence. Sure. Uh, police felt that Mark was honest and a good man. So they let him off the hook for now just because there wasn't really anything suspicious. Yeah. Police turned uh, to the public to see if they could get any help. So this is when the couple who was walking that night kind of came forward uh, to say that they had seen a man being attacked outside of this garage, not knowing if it was John or not, just saying right. they had witnessed something at this exact same garage. Um, so this kind of came out in the open, and then a month later, this is when G finally decided to kind of step forward. Mm-hmm. My guess is it took him a while just because, you know, he's yeah. nervous. He's still out there, right? He knows right. who he is. There was no, like, he wasn't lying on his end. He knew a lot of personal information about him. Yeah. So he was kind of just staying um, under... So, after seeing what happened to the other victim, this is when G finally decides to come forward. Um, Another odd thing that happened was during these interviews and the investigation with Mark, 
he decided to let like police know that he had bought a new red Mazda hatchback, which just so happened to be the exact same car that John was driving. So he was trying to be, what he was telling police is that some lady like found it or something like it was kind of like a black market thing where he kind of bought it under the table is what he told police and so he's trying to be like i don't know if it's john's car but like i bought it so like trying to act like he doesn't (laughs) know what was going on the things that they come up i know i'm like are you seriously so this obviously put mark back on their list of suspects and he was called in for a second interview because he just like randomly brought this up like that's weird by the way. By the way, I don't know if John <laughs> drove a red hatchback, but I bought one. <laughs> In case it's Seriously. So this is when detectives decide to confront Mark about the attacks because at this point they needed a confession. Like they had no other evidence really pointing to him besides the car. Right. Um, as detectives are finishing up their interview with Mark, they state, you're not going to be able to live with yourself with this for the rest of your life because Mark isn't giving him anything that he's just pretending like he doesn't know. And Mark answers back, you would be surprised what I can live with. And that basically ends the interview. So they have enough evidence. Yeah. At this point to uh, go through the garage and like Mark's things because they have enough evidence to get a warrant for to go through these things, but not arrest him. Right. So on October 22nd, police found on Mark's computer was a file titled sk confessions which was a true story behind mark's life and the attacks with every single detail so it was basically like a screenplay and basically the story starts out by saying this story is based on true events the names and events were altered slightly to protect the guilty this is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer boom (laughs) confession Also in the story is all the details behind the murder, stabbing, dismemberment, and disposal of the body of John Altinger. Oh, God. So there were some other graphic parts of the story, obviously. At one point, he says, this is about John. I grabbed his jaw with my gloved hand and moved it while making a funny voice to make it look like it was talking and chuckled to myself at the total silliness of it. So he was basically, like, playing with it like it was, like... <laughs> what the fuck? Right? Gosh. So he was basically playing with a decapitated head like it was a puppet. So at this point, police had enough evidence to arrest Mark. So police took Mark for a drive around, hoping that he would confess where John's body was, but he refused to cooperate at all. Which, like, yeah. dude, we got your story. Like, come yeah. on. So, and he's just trying to pretend it's, like, a screenplay. Yeah, he's just basically, well, and it says that it's a true story, but, like, he's trying to pretend that this was, like, him writing a screenplay for his future movie, right? Yeah, yeah. So, nine months later, Mark finally decided he wanted to talk to police, uh, but he wanted to kind of ha- talk to different detectives to kind of, I don't know. I don't know what his deal was. Um, <laughs> so, what he did was he gave them a map with handwriting on it, and he marked where the body was located. So, it was in a sewer located, like, a bit away from the garage. So, he's so, confessing at this point. At this point, he's finally confessing. And I think at this point, he's only doing it because he wants to be famous for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's the whole reason behind this screenplay in this movie is because he wanted to be known as a serial killer. Yeah. So, in March of 2011, Mark finally went to trial for first-degree murder. Uh, how Mark states what happened is that he brought the men to the garage to show them about the movie in hopes that they would spread the word about the movie and possibly even help him film it. Yeah, right, homeboy. <laughs> you pretended you were a lady right? bringing them back for dates. And then he says, it all went wrong when John got angry knowing that he wasn't a woman, obviously. And he was saying <sighs> that John attacked him and he had to defend himself. But then he decided to dismember him and throw his body in a sewer. Mm. Yes. Obviously, the jury didn't buy it, and he was convicted to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years, and he is currently in prison in Canada. Whoa. Oh, so this all happened in Canada? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Okay. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Why do they, like, do they call him the Dexter because he, like... Is, like, monologuing his own Yeah, that, and I think it's because he acted like different people, because, like, in Dexter, doesn't he act as different people to get close to the people he's going to kill? 
or kind something of, like yeah, that. Yeah. I don't, guys. I haven't seen Dexter, but Dexter's so good. But he, I mean, it's I, I get it. It's like he he basically yeah. is like a serial killer that kills bad guys. Yeah, and so him just like trying to like monologue his own serial killerness. Yeah, I'm I'm I get the connection, but I just think that's wild. Yeah, isn't that so crazy? And just like yeah. the, the, these that poor dude that survived. Like both dudes, obviously, but it's just like. That'd be so scary walking to a garage expecting to be on a date with a woman and it's like, hi, just a dude yeah. in a mask. That and that sucks for the the second the one that was killed because like he literally told his friends and family where he was going uh-huh. and then just still weeks went by without any like yeah. alarm being sounded. Well and like the inner during the interview, they like went to those two the couple that were walking and they're like, Do you feel guilty for not trying to stop anything? Because you could have like saved this guy's life and they're like, Absolutely. But yeah. at the same time it's like you think about being in that situation, like, you don't want to, like, you don't know what's going on. You don't want to go in there and ha- cause harm to yourself or, you know, your significant yeah. other. So it's just, like, it's so crazy, but. That is, that's so scary. I mean, what, they didn't know that there was going to be, I mean, I didn't they call the cops? Yep, they called, call the, they ran home and called the cops just by the time they got the help there. No one was there still, but. Yeah, ugh. It's just so yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's tough. That's so tough. Yeah, but if you guys are interested, there's a whole documentary on the whole thing um, on YouTube, and there's also like interviews with Mark, but he's he never actually will admit and talk about these murders, like it's something he did, right? He thinks it's he probably like and, withholds it so that like, yeah, people, you know, true, still try and get info from him. Yeah, exactly. But well, I bet Megan stoked she got out. Right. I was just oh going to say God. that, like, you got out good, girl. Yeah. But. That's so crazy. So you guys and that's had what it. I was wondering, if he was, like, online trying to be a woman to, like, actually, like, date as well, or if he was just, like, searching for I honestly victims. think it's just because he, he, like, he loved the story that he thought of, of a woman luring men in. And yeah, like yeah, them, exactly. That he wanted to, like, live out this fantasy so that he could be a better screenwriter. Like, he probably wanted Megan to freaking do it, but then oh, she I'm wasn't sure. into it. Probably. And so he was like, well, I gotta do it that's myself. That's probably why he answered the question, and she was like, not really, and he was like, Dang. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta move like, oh, on me neither <laughs> uh, but there you guys have it online God. dating Be murders safe when you date online Seriously. do not fall victim to the catfish just go somewhere public don't go to a random ass garage yeah let people know you're going on a date yeah don't go home with anyone on the first date like yeah I know, I know you guys are out there looking for love, but you got to be a little patient. <laughs> gotta, yep, you got to be safe with your endeavors. That but, is so creepy. Yeah, luckily for now, we're all stuck in quarantine anyway, so we're going to be <laughs> safe for now. <laughs> but there you guys have it. You guys have a good, lovely week and uh, get those fingers ready to swipe right or left. I don't know how it works. If you have any terrible dating stories from dating apps, we'd love to hear oh, gosh, them. So please hit do. us up. I love it. I love it so and much. And we'll share them on our story or something. Please It'll do. be fun. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Friends, Two Murders. Go follow us on Instagram at Two Friends, Two Murders Podcast. Episodes are available on both Apple Podcast and Buzzsprout. Don't forget to go leave us a review and share the episode with your friends. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via Instagram or email us at twofriendstwomurderspodcast at gmail.com.